Good morning, everybody. Thank you, praise team. We really appreciate uh, starting us off such a great way this morning in worship. Let's start off this holiday Sunday with a little, uh, a little game, a little game this morning. Anybody ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Now, this is something that's commonly used with sports teams or businesses. It's about uh, you know, trying to create you know, unity, getting people to, to know one, one another a little bit better within the, uh, the group that they're in. So I'm going to be the one here this morning. I'm going to give you a chance to get to know me a little bit better. Okay, so I'm going to give you three things. All right, two are true, one's a lie. And then, uh, so... Um, there's a few people that, you know, cannot make comments or vote. You know who you are back there. As I called them this morning, the back row Baptist back there. <laughs> All right. So let's start with um, statement number one. I have sharpened Wayne Gretzky's skates. Statement number two. I went to high school in Paris. Statement number three, I was once a part-time beekeeper because back when I was an early trainer, my contract was only nine months, and so I had to find out a summer employment, and so one of my summer jobs was to be a beekeeper, and the next year the players found out, and so hence the name Bee Man was born. So those are my three statements. Think about it for a second. So, who th- just raise your hand. Who thinks that statement number one is the lie? A couple people. Who thinks statement number two is the lie? Are you That's a great question. So, I guess you have to try and discern that, don't you? <laughs> And number three, who thinks number three? Yes, I am named B-Man is my nickname, but I was never a beekeeper. That is the lie. So, so yes, I had a chance to sharpen Wayne Gretzky's skates once for him way back. Um, he didn't fall down. He didn't die or anything. He uh, didn't play a game on them, but, you know, he did. It was, it was a summer thing. Anyhow, long story. And, yes, I went to high school in Paris, Ontario. That is where I went. So Brent has started a series, um, the postcards uh, that we find in the Bible. And uh, uh, Brent asked me to um, speak on 2 John. So if you want to turn to 2 John this morning, um, I'll just uh, I'll read that for us. It's, uh, it's right near the back of your Bible, if you're not familiar. Uh, f- And um, just a a brief uh, 13 verses here. The elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. 
It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience with his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but you you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you with the talk, sorry, you talk with you face to face so that your joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. So, first of all, who wrote the book of Second John? Well, right at the beginning, I know we usually sign our names at the end, but right at the beginning of this letter, it states the elder. And um, research is, is John. Um, and John wrote this letter probably uh, late in his life. Um, he was at, at the time um, that he wrote it, he was either a few years before he was exiled to the island of Patmos, or he may have been right uh, on the island when, when he wrote this letter, but it was, it was later in his life. And interesting about John, if you're not familiar with the Apostle John, uh, one of the 12 disciples, and he was probably the youngest of the, of the 12. He was probably actually a teenager when he started following uh, Jesus as a disciple. And um, records show that he also lived, uh, lived the longest, lived the latest, and uh, died of natural causes um, during his exile to the island of Patmos, um, somewhere around the year of 100 A.D. Who did he write it to? Who did John write this letter to? Well, it says right here, to the chosen lady and her children. So there's a little debate about that. Did he write specifically to one lady and her children? Or is that a, a general term uh, talking about, you know, kind of a, a very affectionate term referring to an individual church and the members of the church? Uh, it, it doesn't really change the message. It doesn't change uh, the purpose of the letter. Who, whether it was written to a small little family or a larger church family. The message is, is still the same, and there's, so, there's no need to uh, debate that back and forth. So why did he write it? Well, he wrote it to encourage a new renewal in the commitment to truth. All right? As, as we read, there was someone, there was people uh, teaching a, a false uh, doctrine, 
and he wanted to encourage this, this group of believers to, uh, to pursue the truth. Um, ben, if you could key up, not to start it quite yet, but I've got a video clip to show you. And I just want to uh, um, set it up here first. So he's talking about truth. He's trying to encourage them to seek out truth. And so the question comes, well, what is truth? It's an age-old question. I'm sure you've heard that phrase many times in your life. And that question dates back centuries. So I've got a, I've got a clip uh, from The Passion of the Christ. And I'm not sure you may have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. Some may not. Um, don't worry, this is not one of the very graphic scenes. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a scene where Jesus and Pilate... Um, are speaking. And if you want to turn to, uh, to John 18, uh, most of their dialogue from this is based off of what we can read in, chap- in uh, chapter 18 of the book of John, verses 28 through 40. Okay, a lot of this conversation is, is based on that, not 100%, but a lot of the conversation from this movie clip comes from there. And as you'll see, it, it'll address and talk about uh, what is truth. Now, one thing here that you may or may not know is the English was not uh, the movie was not done in English, so there's subtitles along the bottom. So hopefully, uh, you can read and, and follow the subtitles. Uh, if not, you can get uh, hopefully the, the gist of most of what's being said um, by reading um, in John 18, verses 28 through 40. So Ben, if you could play, please. So Pilate the political leader of the area at the time is faced with a tough challenge. Okay, it's basically a courtroom scene. All right, the, the Jewish leaders have brought Jesus and said, we want you to kill him. He's, he's broken our laws. And Pilate doesn't seem to be convinced that this is is the truth that he is worthy of death. And he has got a struggle going on because he's in charge of keeping the peace. And he's afraid that if he doesn't do their wishes, it'll create an uprising, a riot, dissension. And he wants to keep the peace. That's the easiest thing is to keep the peace. But he's not at peace at this decision that Jesus is guilty And so he's trying to struggle and determine what is truth. And as any good husband would do, he takes a a tough question to his wife. He turns to his wife, Claudia, and asks her, what is truth? He asks Claudia, do you hear it, recognize it when it is spoken? And she feels comfortable saying, yes, yes, I do. But obviously he's struggling because he says, if, um, sorry, so he says to her, how? Like, how do you recognize it? How are you hearing it? Because he's struggling with that right now. And I love her answer at the end there. She says, if you will not hear the truth, 
No one can tell you the truth. So what is truth? This is what I've been asking this morning. But maybe the better question to ask is who is truth? Think of the difference in that wording. What is truth versus who is truth? So in our postcard here from John to the chosen lady and her, and her children, the beginning here, the first four verses, we can sum up as he's saying those in fellowship with Jesus will have the means to discern right from wrong and therefore the power to choose one or the other. So he's, saying, he's starting off here saying, who is truth? Well, Jesus is truth. You can discern if you stick to your early teachings, if you, if you stick to what you believed early on about Jesus, this will help you discern and make right choices. John is writing to Christians. He's warning them about a prophet, a false teacher, a false thought out there that Jesus, um, they didn't, the teaching wasn't to doubt Jesus' deity. They said Jesus was God and, and Jesus came to earth, but they denied that he was fully human. And, you know, scripture all over clearly states that Jesus is both. Jesus, you know, right away in the Gospels in Matthew, born of a virgin, fully man, fully human. And so there was teachers out there distorting the truth. And John felt he needed to point this out because some people weren't sticking to the truth. They were believing, uh, believing a lie. And it's interesting because you've got the truth about Jesus, which was being preached and people were accepting, you know, in, in, in the early days after Jesus had died and risen again. But then all of a sudden, you take the pendulum like humans like to do, and we swing it this way. Well, you just take part of the truth, and you start swinging the pendulum this way. So, yes, you know what? Jesus, the deity, came, but he wasn't human. But nowadays, what does our world, what does our society believe? We've swung the pendulum over here, right? There's a lot of people that say, yeah, Jesus was human. He was born. He was a good teacher. He was a good man. He was an exceptionally good man. But he wasn't God. He was our Interesting how that pendulum swings from the truth, which is, in the, which is in the center of the foundation. He goes on in verses 5 and 6. As John likes to do, as John did in, the, in writing the Gospel of John, he talked a lot about love. He says, um, John emphasizes here that, um, that we should walk in love, that God is love, and that loving is a command. It's uh, something directly from Jesus. You know, we went through... Uh, the series there, the, the upper story, and, and we read those words of Jesus where he commanded us to love one another. Um, we did that a, a few weeks ago, uh, leading in, into Easter. And John here continues to emphasize about the warning of false, false teaching. 
And I think he's getting a little, little upset here. I think he's a little ticked off at these people. Because um, we read there in verse 7, he calls them deceivers. He calls them the Antichrist. That's pretty strong language. I think he's a little, you know, a little ticked off at the distortion of the truth here. And, uh, and, and he points it out with any, without reservation. So our standard, as keeps being pointed out to us, is God's word. And for us today, it's contained in the Bible here. The world, the society today, you ask around, there's a variety of standards of truth. Kind of depends on who you ask. So if you, you know, went up to Trent or uh, went downtown and let's say you surveyed 100 people and asked them, you know, um, what's your standard for living? How do you determine right from wrong? You're probably going to get, what, 75, 80 different answers? Maybe a few that kind of overlap. You're going to get quite a variety of answers depending on, on how many people you ask. Because there's a, it's gone to the point now where what? People, people often say, well, what's right for you is right for you. But what's right for me may not be the same as what's right for you. And, you know, the, the standard for truth is just disappearing in our society for a large part. But in contrast, you know, we believe that the Bible is our standard for truth. And the nice thing about having the Bible is it doesn't change. The words in here aren't changing. God himself doesn't change. God has some standard characteristics. He is dependable. He is the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. It's not like our world where there are standards of right and wrong or truth are constantly changing with the, the current trend, the current uh, you know, charismatic speaker. And we need to remember that even though the world may say that you are a God, you are your own God, we aren't God. We aren't holy like he is. We aren't perfect like he is. And so we mess up from time to time, don't we? Well, I know I do. Anyhow. But the tough thing is admitting when you make a mistake. It may be one of the toughest things in life, especially you know, at work or at home, there's mistakes. Maybe you kind of know you do yourself, but mistakes that other people see. It's hard to admit, especially when you're confronted on them. Ever heard the phrase, not my fault? Well, if you've got teenagers in your home, you sure have. And it's always, I mean, always in your back pocket. What do you got? You got an excuse right there in your back pocket, right? You got something to justify why you did that, Right? It's always right here, nice and safe in our back pocket to pull out why we did this or that. Earlier, the praise team read um, the story of Nathan and David from, uh, and um, 
let me just try and summarize that, that, that quickly for you, just kind of what happened there, okay? So King David has committed a whole bunch of sins, lustful, uh, adultery, murder, lying, on and on. Okay. So finally, God's had enough, and he sends the prophet Nathan to confront the king. Well, you don't easily just confront the king in these days, right? So poor Nathan is probably shaken in his sandals. Probably, you know, his antiperspirant isn't working. He's sweating like crazy because he's going to walk in and tell the king a story and, you know, confront him on what he's done wrong. So Nathan... However, you know, it probably wasn't easy to just walk in and talk to the king, but he, he got up in front of King David and said, I got a story for you, all right? And I don't know if this is the best way to confront somebody, because he tells him a story, and he gets David mad. I mean, David hears this story, and he thinks it's an actual event that's happened, and he's burning, raging mad. Like, he says, who is this guy, Nathan? I want to kill him. Like, this guy, you know, this is... This is unbelievable what this guy's done. He deserves death. You know? So now Nathan's got to tell him it was just a story. You know, poor Nathan. You know? He's, you know, he's got he's to be thinking now. He's going to kill me. Right? He's the king. He's got the power to kill me. Because now I just told him a story. I, he thought it was the truth and it was just a story. I mean, David had the power to hear that story, to hear what the story meant from, from Nathan, and to reject it and tell one of his guards, hey, you know what? I don't want to hear any more from him. Go cut his head off. But fortunately, that wasn't David's response. David gives us a response that we need to use for an example. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, we have it recorded. When David is confronted with what he's been doing wrong, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Not what we would have necessarily expected you're talking the top man the king to stop and repent and say you're right nathan you're right god and i can visualize david if he was sitting on the throne coming off his throne dropping to his knees and saying i'm sorry i have sinned reminds me of claudia's words if you will not hear the truth No one can tell you. David heard the truth loud and clear, didn't he? Let's turn to another story, a story in the New Testament. In Luke, Luke 23, we read about Jesus' crucifixion. Well, Jesus wasn't crucified alone. The Bible tells us that he had two thieves crucified with him. So Luke 23, verses 
32 and 33 to start with. We read, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified with him along with the criminals. They crucified him, with, crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other one on his left. And if we fast forward to verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So thief number one mocks Jesus, rejects the truth. He's hanging on a cross face to face with death and with Jesus Christ himself. And he rejects the truth. Thief number two. He admits his failures, accepts the truth. He's hanging there on the cross face to face with the truth as thief one is and thief two. Two total different reactions to the truth. So how about you? Are you thief number one today? Have you been confronted with the truth but just aren't willing to accept the truth of the Bible fully and completely? Or are you number two? I'm thief number two. I have sinned. I have done wrong. I deserve death. And Christ died for me. But I have admitted my sins to him and received his forgiveness. Like David, we can be a follower after God but we can get distracted. We can have sin creep into our lives and we can deny it and we can push it aside. So my question is, has God been trying to confront you with some truths that you have been pushing aside and not denying and not, and not accepting? Ben, if you could get the second video clip ready, please. So I've got one more short video clip here just to, uh, to wrap up here. So this clip, real short, 10-second video clip. It's from the movie A Few Good Men. It's a bit older now. Some people would be familiar with it. Again, it's a court scene, but it's a modern-day court scene. It's actually a, uh, 
an armed forces court scene, all right? If you know uh, Tom Cruise and uh, um, Jack Nicholson, all right, this is arguably the most famous court scene of Hollywood has ever produced. And what you've got is you've got Tom Cruise as a lawyer for the Navy, and you've got Jack Nicholson, who is a general. And there's been a soldier who has died at the hands of his fellow soldiers away from battle. And they're trying to find out what the truth is, why, why this happened. And so just play that short, short clip, please. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Answers. You want answers. I want the truth. Do you want the truth? Do you want to know the truth? The truth isn't here. So the question is, can you handle the truth as painful as it may be? The truth will set you free. Can you handle the truth? Praise team.